Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Underline, we explore the intersection of real estate and public spaces and how Miami innovators and leaders have transformed the unused space between the Metro Rail into a community engagement platform. We are thrilled to have as our guest, Meg Daly, CEO President of Friends of the Underline, Chairwoman of the Underline Conservancy, and a board member of the Miami-Dade Transportation Trust. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hello, Meg. Hi, Alec. So, Meg, tell us a bit about your background and how you got into this fascinating space. I am almost a native Miamian. There aren't that many of us. We moved here when I was um, six months old. Um, And I remember Miami when it was this sleepy little town. And fast forward to today, I had high school here. I made the mistake of leaving Miami for a year. Um, I came back because my family's here um, and I got into advertising, um, ultimately having my own direct marketing company. Um, And then I went into this crazy um, idea of thinking that I could own a technology company with three other partners. And um, fortunately, I discovered the possibilities of creating the underline. um, And that's what I'm involved in as a full-time volunteer now. That sounds kind of like my background, <laughs> quite quite interestingly enough. So tell us about the underline. What is it and, and how does it work? Well, you know, it's there's a lot of land below Metro Rail. Metro Rail is an elevated, heavy rail, uh, unique to Miami. You know, a lot of these big trains are below the ground. Um, and Metro Rail tracks 26 miles through Miami-Dade County, which is hundreds of acres of underutilized land. And we're repurposing and transforming 120 acres from the Miami River downtown to Dadeland South, connecting many, many different communities uh, through a park, trails, and really um, a destination for community to gather um, and for us to come together and get to know each other. And how did that idea come about? How did you come up with the idea to use all that uh, basically unused empty space? By accident. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, about seven years ago I had a bike accident and broke both of my arms uh, which I I landed in a perfect plank though I got to tell you where my my hands were straight out I broke both of my elbows and um, it was very humbling because if anybody out there is an a-type personality not being able to do anything for yourself makes us really appreciate you know how lucky we are to have mobility and health. And, um, but it was because of, I think that slowing down, um, it forced me to see everything around me in a different way than being in a car because I walked a lot. And I ended up walking below Metro Rail uh, to get to physical therapy one day. And I'm a park lover. I just think that a park is sort of the green soul of a city. And um, it's sort of my my internal um, compass. In any great city, you can find a great park. And I thought, why aren't we doing something with all this dead land that's actually kind of scary, blighted and tearing, you know, sort of ripping our community apart and dividing us? Why don't we turn it into a great place? And I was like, oh, that'll be easy, which goes to show you just how little I knew (laughs) of what I was getting into. And the idea around 
the underlying it is a multifaceted one. I mean, you have a structure that has its purpose, which is the Metro Rail. Uh, you had, it connects in a way, various communities for various different reasons. Uh, and, and so you have to think both about transportation and the, and the element of that. You think about the various communities that the underlying, uh, that the Metro Rail touches in those communities. And then you have to think about, well, what do those communities need? Uh, how would they utilize this space? You know, what, did, what went through, what, what process did you go through to really understand and learn about what to do, what the underlying needed to become in order to be useful? I mean, that's a great question. And, and the good thing about not being a professional urban planner or architect is I didn't try to tell people what, how I thought that they should live and experience this space. It took a lot of listening and um, and listening sometimes is a hard work because the first thing you have to do is get people to talk. And um, the, the design team we worked with ultimately out of New York uh, called James Corner Field Operations, who were the visionaries behind uh, the High Line, um, sort of the opposite of the underline, um, counted over a hundred unique meetings just for the master plan process. So those are everything from one-on-one -on -one, community meetings, large scale public meetings, and they didn't ever put pencil to paper until they got some sort of quorum in the voice of what people wanted. And they, and people were very clear. Safety was the first priority. Miami-Dade County is one of the most dangerous places to walk and bike in the United States. Uh, so safety first. Um, there are so many stories, anecdotal and accurate and factual about people getting hit on their bikes, hit on foot, and that's a problem. Um, the second is, you know, they wanted to reconnect to nature that had been stripped out of this space, restoring those uh, natural habitats that used to be there and all those native plants. So there was a cry for native plant, which really makes us a more resilient community. Um, and the third was everything else was third. It was, we want public health, recreation, we want to play together, we want a safe place for all ages, of all types of people, no matter what your socioeconomic uh, composition is or history. Um, and, and mostly there was a, a yearning uh, for coming together. And people see this as now, especially um, as we come out of COVID, as a place to heal. Um, and, and there's lots of reasons that you can do that, but, but being with people again is, has really been, there's sort of a pining and yearning for, for coming together. Well, I, there's so much I want to delve into about having two broken arms. I know if I cut a finger and I have to take a shower with one hand, <clears throat> I'm a complete mess. I don't know how you, you credit to you that you're able to function with two, two broken arms. Um, you make an interesting point about listening, and anybody who knows me knows how good I am as a listener, and it's really hard to talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I th sometimes these projects, the toughest thing is to get anyone to listen and to think that there's really something that can be done here. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, credit to you for bringing all these people together and actually putting the project to fruition. Um, you made a comment about bringing people together and, and COVID and bringing people out. And there's no doubt, especially in areas 
uh, farther in the north during the winter where they couldn't get out, where they started to realize how much they crave outdoors and crave the parks. I, mean, I lived in New York City and, and everybody jumps to Central Park the first nice day in the spring. It feels like every single person is walking and biking. Um, and living in Miami more recently, there is the beach and there is a really nice flamingo park near where I live. But we could use, it's funny to say that, but we could use a lot more spaces that we underutilize to create more of these environments where people can come together and do things together. So this started, I think, in 2013. Is that accurate? You started yes. this? Where are we now in the project in terms of uh, the sections and the areas that have been built out and, and the future of the project? Well, the first phase, which is in Brickell, um, goes from the Miami River. Um, if anybody wants a landmark, it's a bar, American Social. Um, and it goes down to Coral Way. Um, and I'm just in that first half mile, um, directly fronts two schools, um, one of them, one of the oldest elementary schools in Miami-Dade County. Um, and there's really very, very um, different sides. You know, the, the old, the railroad sort of created the served and underserved populations. And believe it or not, that census data since Flagler's Rail has not changed a lot. Um, and so we see ourselves as that place that everybody can have a rich experience with this public green space. Um, and that is open. Dog parks, um, there's, a, there's a very active basketball court, mini pitch soccer. Uh, there's a sound stage with lots of free um, community events going on. There's places just to hang out. You can skateboard, you can scoot, you can bike, walk safely um, off-road. And there are butterflies everywhere because all the plants that we planted um, are pollinator species that are attracting monarchs, atalas, which are endangered, sulfur butterflies right next to the butter picks of basketball court. There's monarchs sort of buzzing through there. And everybody's like, do you bring the butterflies in every day? And I'm like, no, they just eat our plants because that's <laughs> yeah. what we're supposed to do. Yeah, we release we them every day. We eat them. <laughs> It's, it's really a butterfly stupid. kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's amazing the, the whole approach that you've taken, right? And so it's not, to me, it's not really just about the space, right? It's, it's about how you use it. And the thought that went into thinking about the programming, the content, the mere fact that you have a soundstage, which will inspire countless uh, shows and, and creators to come in and utilize the space, the physical recreational activities, which will inspire countless of fitness enthusiasts and sports aficionados to play and, and, and do what they need to do in the space. You've, you've set it up and you basically handed this wonderful package to the community and allowed the, the community to engage in the way that it, that, that it was meant to. What went into thinking about um, that programming and its impact? And especially with the, the, the thread of the of nature and the conservancy angle to it. I mean, it, would this all just come from the community and listening to the community? Or did was there a plan in place that allowed you to get to where you needed to be? Well, you know, we're, we're very, very fortunate to be part of a group called the Highline Network. Um, and the Highline has brought together, we started with a group of nine, um, adaptive reuse, um, projects where you take this um, either derelict or underutilized infrastructure and give it other purposes. So it doesn't just have to support the rail or it doesn't just have to support even a bridge. And, um, and, and we were sort of like the new kids on the block. 
um, and we didn't know anything. And they helped us look out for landmines and, and also gave us a lot of really good ideas. But we, um, we started doing these events called Program Your Park. And people would bring sticky notes and Sharpies and they'd tell us all the types of programs they wanted on the underline. And, you know, and, and they were really good ideas. Um, so everything we have, we spent a lot of time thinking about the physical infrastructure, the built environment. Here is what it looked like. And you know what? It's a space. And when people get there, it's a place. And, and, and I'm telling you, when, when our fences came down on phase one and they came down four, state, four days early, it was the only time we were ahead of schedule. Um, so there were no announcements. There were no press releases. It's like, oh, I guess we're open. And it was, it was like, that's when things are planned well, when people know what to do. And we had people in wheelchairs, on walkers, in strollers, on scooters. And, and they knew, like, they started picking up their kids at Southside Elementary on a scooter, a dad, and kids would hop on the back. And, I, and it was really very, very moving that people felt welcome there from the minute we opened. They didn't step back. Oh, can, are we allowed here? Yeah, come on in. You know, it reminds me uh, of a improv class that I went to where the, my teacher said, look, get up um, for a minute and talk about something. And then you get up, you just can't do it. You have no idea what to talk about. But then you put a, a table and a placemat and a couple of glasses of wine and then says, get up there and talk for a minute. And it's a lot easier because you have context. You have the, the props. You have the, the tools in which you can use to be able to experience and enjoy. And so what it sounds like what you've done is you've put an experience in front of people and then allowed people to engage. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant. And, and beauty. And I, you know, we can't underestimate the value of beauty and connection to nature. And it's sort of, it's, 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 it's in our belly, right? Because that's something that we're drawn to. And that's very special to me. Like we had these kids from Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, it was the Heat's first um, activation in person with kids after a year. And they came to us and they said, you know, we wanna do an activation in the gym. And I'm like, well, great, because I've been chasing you for a year, it was like that high school guy you thought was so cute. And finally he turns around and says, you're pretty cute too. And so we were like, yeah, of course we're going to do something together. And we combined kids learning basketball skills with then learning about nature because we toured the butterfly gardens. So now we have a new program called Basketball and Butterflies. <laughs> Whoever knew those would go together. <laughs> if I hear that one more time, I tell you. Um, it's interesting what you bring up about the High Line. And I don't know if my aunt, if New York, excuse me, is, is leading the pack on this, but literally today they opened up Little Island on the west side of Manhattan where Barry Diller and Dan von Furstenberg spent $260 million of their foundation, and they took 2.6 acres. They took these ugly piers on the West Side Highway in Manhattan. They built 132 concrete piers, and that holds an elevated park with an amphitheater. It's a park to walk through. It's a restaurant. And it's just reinvigorated that neighborhood, just like the High Line. It now provides you a place where you can walk in Manhattan that's not all streets and, and cars and noise and honking, but it's literally an oasis within the city. Uh, and now what you've done here um, with the underline, this seems like a trend that is starting to grow city after city, place after place. It is. And, and we now have in that High Line network over 100 member projects in North America. 
And um, there are similarities, but there definitely are differences. Some are at grade like us. Um, some don't have a transportation component like we do. Um, Alex, you know, you you mentioned transportation. I haven't talked about that a lot. Um, the underline is Miami-Dade County's first multimodal corridor, um, having um, safe access um, for connections to transit. Um, and I see it. I look out my window. People are getting off the bus. They cut through the, you know, through the park to get to the trolley on the other side. They hang out, wait 20 minutes in the shade of, the, of a tree on the underline and go catch their train. So, you know, they're not, you know, sitting in the sun um, on their bus shelter without shade to get to where they need to go. It's probably one of the more beautiful transit experiences in, in, in anything I've ever seen. So the transportation piece is really um, important to us and it has provided the bulk of the funding for this project, uh, not park fee um, income, income related to the development of a park, but development of a transportation, a multimodal corridor. And so all these projects, you know, really have sort of different, um, they look different, but we have so many common goals and themes and all of them feed into one overarching uh, goal, which is to build a better place for us to live. Um, and, you know, you know, you can have a beautiful place to live, but if your community doesn't, doesn't connect and they aren't, don't feel like they're welcome and they don't feel like it's their home, they're going to go find another place where they feel safe walking down the street. Um, and they can say hi to their neighbor. Um, and I'll go back to the to the recent um, the Dillers, the Diller von Furstenbergs, who just opened up that amazing facility on the on the um, on the Lower West Side. They were also the early donors to the High Line, and they they discovered the project um, when they saw the design drawings by the same design team, James Corner Field Operations in MoMA, and they stopped and they paused and they said, "Wow, we really want to help that project." And they donated millions to that nonprofit so they could get the project built. And the differences of philanthropy in the projects that are within the umbrella of the Highline Network um, are, are, are kind of surprising. Like you'd think that people living in San Francisco, the wealth of Silicon Valley and whatever, that the, that, you know, the, the faucet's turned on and there's tons of philanthropy. The philanthropy really exists in some of our older cities. The Chicago's, New York's, Boston, and 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 Miami is a young city. You know, we're seeking our identity, and I encourage everyone to invest in the place that you live. That yes, we're an experiment. Yes, we're young. Yes, we're a lab. But you know, investing in making this place a better home for you and your family um, will support not just projects like the Underline but other great programs uh, that need um, sort of like, you know, write a check, share your skills, show the love. And, and that's how good things happen. You know, you mentioned funding, right? And I think that a lot of it has to come from individual uh, contributions. At the same time, you also do have uh, corporations putting money into the projects, right? Because ultimately, companies do benefit in a lot of ways. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've engaged corporate America uh, with the with Underline and how they've engaged? Absolutely. Um, well, the, I, I actually think that Miami should be called the show me state because now that we've opened our first phase, the number of people who said, well, I didn't really ever believe it was going to happen. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you didn't say that to my face because <laughs> I would have just gone home. Um, 
And, and now that we have proof of concept, um, you know, the, the, the people who've been sitting on the sidelines are stepping in. Um, we have great partners in Florida Power and Light who have sponsored the Soundstage Plaza, where all of those activations are happening for kids building with adult-sized Legos and Miami City Ballet performing in for free and the Arsh Center on the road coming out with a woman with 10 hula hoops at the same time. Um, dog events with Miami-Dade Alma Services. Um, Swire Properties is the, um, the underwriter supporter of the Flex Court um, and is bringing in programs for kids from underserved communities for free basketball and soccer clinics, also for persons with disabilities. Um, and Baptist Health, a longtime believer, um, is, is, is the, now the sponsor for the outdoor gym, as well as underwriting our health and wellness program in yoga, Zumba, meditation. So it's really, I mean, I, it, it's, it's really very, um, that first, there were two, there were two firsts. Um, first went to the Knight Foundation, um, and at the time said, had this crazy idea, and um, they're kind of like, yeah, that's a little crazy. Um, but, you know, we believe in crazy ideas and they kind of that's kind of what rocks us. And so the first check they wrote was for $10,000 um, to help with a website. And then the next check was to help us with the master plan. And then the next one uh, was we want a Night Cities Challenge in support of the big idea of the, of the basketball gym dropped in the middle of infrastructure downtown. Um, and then they ultimately wrote a substantial investment to help us explore the convergence of technology in public spaces. And, um, and that's pioneering work. So someone says, what is that going to look like? I will tell you, I have no idea. Um, but, you know, hey, we're a lab, right? Um, and we'll be unveiling that uh, next week, working with um, a team from Urban Sense, which um, also includes two founders from Sidewalk Labs. So those are people who stepped in from day one, and and I appreciate them a lot. You made a very good point about how young this city is. Miami is something like a hundred years old, and we had a show where we had somebody who was involved in, in in creating, growing the artistic community in in Miami. You know, we've gone from the Adrian Arts Center, Art Basel, the Perez Art Museum, the Museum of Science, and how that can transform a city, both as a, a more a more important destination, both as creating an artistic community within the city, and all that does to 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 help for children, for families, for. Uh, uh, for appreciating art, and you are doing the same thing with physical space. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of your physical space, the underline, what is the end? When is when is the, do you think the project will be complete, and how much is left to do now? So, I did not answer fully one of your questions. <laughs> um, phase two, phase one is open, and phase two, which goes um, takes us to North Grove, that's two and a quarter miles long. We'll start construction in July. Um, and then the third phase, which is seven miles long, seven miles long, um, go, and going through very different communities. Um, those sort of historic neighborhoods like Silver Bluff and Shenandoah and Miami, three miles in Coral Gables and fronts directly the University of Miami. Um, and then down through South Miami, a part of it most, used to be in their CRA, sort of their industrial district. Um, and then all the way down to Dave Land South. And all of that has to be completed by 2025, wow. making our project the fastest moving project of its scope in the country. Wow, that wow. is 
that is impressive in terms of the the scale of the project as well as the complexity, right? Because you're, you know, it's a lot going on across across the cities, right? Um, yeah. You know, earlier you mentioned multimodal transportation, and those that know me well know how much I love multimodal transportation. Um, and when you, and I'm also a New Yorker, and in living in a big city, in particular, the last place you want to live is next to an above rail station, right? <laughs> right. It's just, and so we have this typical idea of just of, of the houses shaking and not being able to sleep and all the things that go, the stigma that goes along with that. What you've been able to create is a rail system that people want to live closer to, right? Because you have access to all this great stuff. So, um, shifting people's behaviors, getting them there, job well done. Now, shifting people's attitudes and awareness of it is, I would say, you know, sort of an ongoing, you know, ongoing activity. How are you reaching out to the community and getting people to engage, making them aware of this great stuff? And how are you helping to change what it means to be close to an above rail multimodal experience. Um, and, I, and I love that there's a real estate piece uh, to this conversation. Um, the, the Metro Rail used to be Flagler's Rail, which was built in the 20s. Um, and so a lot of these buildings either have a big wall um, backing up to the rail. So you have my backyard, it directly abuts the rail. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna separate myself. You have big industrial walls because it's considered, you know, undesirable real estate. So I'm going to block it all out. And so what happens is it's a combination of zoning and 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 sort of like an organic process of, wow, I don't just back up to a rail. I also back up to a beautiful green space that I'm lucky enough to live next to. I'm going to bring my fence down. So that's the individual property owner. And they feel safe now, right? It's lit. We have security. It's beautiful. It's green. There's a separation from US-1. Um, and then you have zoning, which takes longer. And there's two parts to it. One is all these transit stations, we go through eight, uh, nine million transit users, um, quote unquote, transit through this, this 10 mile space already. Um, those have been upzoned for quite a bit of density. Um, the Douglas station is being redeveloped right now, as is the Grove station. Vizcaya um, is going to be redeveloped as well. Um, two teams were just selected uh, to negotiate um, to negotiate for the, the rights to redevelop it. And the way it's really interesting how it's shaping is because the, now there is a focus on more affordability. So Miami is one of the most dangerous places to live when you live when you combine housing and transportation costs. And so now if you live near a transit hub and you don't need a car, you can reduce your cost of living by $10,000 a year. And you can also have a safer experience and your transit station offers you amenities that are true live work play experiences, not a promise that you have to go a half a mile away to live, to work or play. And, um, and that's something that a lot of other places have figured out and I just think that we shouldn't be so afraid of change because it's the future of cities. Now, you mentioned the future of cities. You mentioned technology and, um, and structures. And you mentioned sidewalk labs. Uh, some individuals from, from, that, from that 
uh, venture have moved over into your organization. And I remember when Sidewalk Labs kicked off in Toronto and, and there's just a, a huge project, massive, big idea. And I think in some ways, maybe too big. And when I see Sidewalk Labs, I'm uh, sorry, it's when I see the underline, I see things like the high line, it feels like it's the small idea that, that becomes the big idea um, uh, is that really takes, takes shape and, and has legs. Do you find that when you look across uh, outside of Miami and, and look at other cities and other countries around the world, do you, would you recommend that, that organizations like your own start small and solve local challenges versus trying to solve all things at once? Well, you know, I think when I started this, I said, oh, we should build a park below Metro Rail. That'll be easy. Um, I think sometimes just having no experience in the work that you're about to embark in, you know, keeps you naive enough that you believe in the impossible. Um, but I, but I do think knowing what your core values are and understanding your promise to the community um, allows you to say yes to the right things um, and do a lot more of the right things and less of the wrong things, wrong things. Um, you know, Maybe we should, if someone's, if the community's screaming for native plants, well then don't irrigate, see if it works, right? Because native plants should, should survive here. And that keeps, you know, that takes the cost out of, um, of irrigating. Um, and people are saying, oh, my streets are flooding. So isn't it smart to use some of the space for stormwater mitigation, green infrastructure? So now we have a whole series of bioswales. And so since we knew what our promise was, because people told us what they wanted, it kept the, the ideas big, but the individual deliveries are small, right? And you also have the constriction of 100 feet wide. You can't, there's, it's like being on a ship all the time. You have, everything has to be very, very well planned. No, and you can't plan for, I, I can't, we can't, we, we not you neighborhood. We want you to come to us and find ways to connect to us. If we start, you know, trying to get into road design and how to make it easier to get to the underline, we want to catalyze and incentivize and inspire those communities to make their streets safer because now they're gonna to wanna to come to the underline and other parks that connect to it, right? So you have bottom up, you have top down, and honestly, that's the only thing, only way something can get done with speed. Well, Alex made an interesting comment that I thought was very funny. In the Blues Brothers movie, the Blues Brothers, one of the brothers lives right next to the Chicago L, the elevated subway. And, and as they're talking, the trains keep going by. And one of the brothers says, how often do the trains go by? Another brother says, so often you don't even notice. And while he's talking, four trains go by. So it's very interesting. <laughs> you can see people eating dinner on, the, on, the, on those trains. Exactly. Right, right inside of their kitchens. And I think you made a great point about how, you know, take each project, just take piece by piece and it'll slowly come together. Like they say, paint a house. Don't worry about having to paint the whole house. Just paint the kitchen. The kitchen's done. Just paint the bedroom. And next thing you know, the house is done. You touched a couple of times on security, um, which is a big issue across the country for parks everywhere, for playgrounds everywhere, where kids want to go out and play, but it's too dangerous or it's not well lit. You seem to have solved that problem. If you were going to advise or pass on the knowledge you've learned in how to make areas safer for children for multi-use places around the country, what would you tell these different cities? Um, lighting is really important. 
um, we found that activation, don't build a dead space, right? And, and you know, don't, if, you, if your gut's telling you that that's not going to work, don't just sign off on it. So there's nothing we've done is rubber stamped. Bring some common sense to your plan. Um, are, are kids vulnerable to running out in the street here? And, um, and, you know, you don't have to be a parent. You were a kid at some point. All of us were children. Um, so um, lighting is very important. And then for sure, making sure the space is activated. Because if it's dead, it will be dark and it will be dangerous. Well, you know, one of the, one of the quotes you mentioned that's actually I'm going to take home with me it keeps you naive enough to believe in the impossible is how I think I'm going to live my life. <laughs> moving forward. It's my dating <laughs> life, but anyway. <laughs> but I think, I think there's a lot um, on this show that uh, have both um, enlightened us and to better understand the, the work that's not only um, is transformed Brickle, but will continue to transform Miami with the underline. But you've also inspired us to think a little bit differently about the built world and what's possible, both with the structures that are legacy that we've, we've been, we have to live with, like um, uh, trains and, and structures that, that have been created for other uses that can be reapplied, but also new builds and things that we need to be created in the future that have multi-purposes and that are holistically in, uh, enhancing the community and the environment in which they're, they're, they, they reside in. So I wanna thank you both for your commitment um, and for your leadership in the Miami community and the work that you've done on the ground and how you've created a great awareness around innovation um, in the city that we that we most love. So I wanna thank you very much for being on the show. I second that as well, Meg. I think what you've done is terrific. You're clearly a thought leader and uh, and an executor of, of ideas and uh, we could use more people like yourself and please uh, keep coming up with these ideas that you think will never get done because it'll just continue to enhance uh, the experience of living in Miami as we have more people coming down here and wanting to come down here. So thank you very much. No, thank you. This has been a lot of fun and I love what you're doing. And there's just one thing I want to say, because because Alex, you just made me think of it. That, you know, we look at buildings and we're thinking that we're discovering the shared environment and the and sort of the commerce that goes around that. And I want people to think about public spaces as the shared environment and, and how people can meaningfully share that space, grow, connect, live and and be part of a better future together. Um, so we're sharing everything. Right. Nothing's private anymore. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, Meg. Take care, Meg. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.